This is The Takeaway from WNYC and PRX in collaboration with GBH News in Boston. Hey, it's Jay Cowett. I'm keeping the host chair warm for Melissa Harris-Perry today. MHB is back tomorrow with you. Now, in my life, I've been to a few music festivals. I really love it. I know a lot of people don't like the heat or the crowds or getting to places, but... I love seeing a lot of bands back to back to back, seeing bands I don't know for the first time. I really dig it. I've been to Bonnaroo and Camp Bisco, Gathering of the Vibes, a few fish festivals, but I've never been to Coachella, which of course is one of the largest and most popular music festivals in the US and around the world. And so I wanted to hear about the highs, the lows, and the lesser known artists of this three-day music festival based in Indio, California. So with me now is Allison Hussey, staff writer at Pitchfork, Allison, you are back from weekend one at Coachella. Have you recovered? Uh, Not quite. I am back at work today, but I stayed at home so that I could just kind of take it a little easy and hang out with my cat while I catch up on emails. It was really intense. I feel like it was kind of like the final boss of festivals. I've been to <laughs> several, but this was definitely like the biggest and most intense. <laughs> Well, we appreciate your sacrifice to give us this information here and get our audience a little a little taste of the of the biggest music festival out in Indio, the final boss, as you say. Let's start right at the top. The names in the big font on the poster. Let's go with the headliners here. Bad Bunny. First Spanish-speaking act in Coachella headlining history. How was it? Uh, that was really fun. I didn't quite get to see all of his set, but what I did get to see was like really bouncy, really just like it was so much fun. Um, they were handing out these little LED bracelets for his set and Blackpink's and at different points during the show, the bracelets were like lighting up in time with the light show that was happening. So that was pretty wild. I heard that Post Malone came out later. I didn't get to catch that, but um, I'm sure that that would have been a really good time. I kind of wish I would have stuck around for that. I'm glad you brought up the the light show and the and the the handing out of bracelets because it's kind of an immersive thing. At any festival, the crowd is really part of the show as well, right? You're getting a kind of a different dynamic than you would at at a normal show. You got people who don't necessarily know your music if you're if you're an artist or people that are seeing you for the first time tell me about kind of how that felt at Coachella just the immersiveness of the crowd and and how that works with the artists i mean honestly as somebody who loves people watching this was also like olympic level people watching um and it was really incredible to just like see just like how devoted so many people were like you could really really tell who in the crowd were like the stands there were people who showed up early in the morning to stay for a set that was at the end of the day so it was really wonderful to be reminded of just like how much a lot of people really love music but it was also just really overwhelming like the sheer number of people that were just around me all the time was just a lot you mentioned Blackpink, who made history as the first Korean act to headline the festival. Kind of paint the word picture for us. How was that experience? That was absolutely one of the most overwhelming sensory music experiences of my life. Um, before the group even took the stage, there was like a drone show. And 
I know that Bjork used the drones too, but Blackpink had all of these like morphing shapes. There was like a paper crane, there was a butterfly and a caterpillar. And like when the group took the stage, there were like flames, there were lights, like there were the little flashing bracelets, dancers. It was all just, it was so much. And I, I know that like K-pop always goes for it's like, you know, go big or go home. But this was so much bigger than anything I have ever experienced in like a live music context that even though I could barely see the actual performers that it blew me over. Now, somebody who's no stranger to really combining the the artistic aspects of music in, into more of a an exhibition more so than a show is the legend Bjork. I really feel we're all just lucky to live at the same time that Bjork does things. Her show this weekend was apparently no exception, right? Uh, yeah, that was really gorgeous. I had kind of hoped slash expected that she would lean in a more electronic direction because her most recent record, Fasora, was really electronic and like really cool. Um, and I think that that would have been interesting for like a festival show, but she really took it in a different direction, doing this like beautiful symphonic set. She had this incredible dress that really reminded me of like spiky broken glass. It was like very moving and very beautiful, but I think different from what people were expecting. But that's also just like so very in line with who Bjork is and what she does. As these festivals grow in size and, and add more artists, some of these artists will inevitably have to play at the same time as some of the other artists. Did you have that uh, experience over the weekend, like having to really make a tough choice between one or two acts? Yeah, I was so, so, so torn between Rosalia and Yeji, who were playing at the same time. And yeah, that was like a really tough call. But I went to see Yeji to write about it. And her show also just completely blew me away. Like, that was the first time I had seen her before. But she I knew, like, she had typically kind of used her gear more in a live setting. And at this performance, she was like totally in full superstar mode and she just looked so cool. She looked like she was having so much fun. Um, she said that her parents were there, which was really sweet. And yeah, Yeji was so incredible and just like the whole crowd was really into it. And it was really an experience of just like, oh yeah, this is one of my favorite things about live music, like in any context. All right, stick with us. Quick set break. Back with more on Coachella Weekend One. Right after this on the takeaway. Make 
It's The Takeaway. I'm Jay Cowett, sitting in for Melissa Harris-Perry today. I'm speaking with Allison Hussey, staff writer at Pitchfork, who just returned from Weekend One at Coachella. So let's talk about unexpected excitement. And, and what I mean here is, is side stages. You know, obviously, the headline are kind of the big draw, like I say, the big font acts in the poster. But there are hundreds of acts at Coachella. Can you tell me just a few artists that our audience may not have heard of yet that really impressed you this weekend in terms of live shows? I really enjoyed Sudan Archives. She also sort of ran into some technical issues. Like, it was just really a drag because I could tell that she just, like, really wanted to be performing. And when she did get going, it was fantastic. And she's been a really wonderful performer to kind of like watch evolve and develop over the years. Um, There were honestly a couple of sets that I really wanted to see, but I missed again because logistics of getting into the festival grounds were just like so intense. And as a first timer, I just like was not quite ready for. I really wanted to see Wise Blood because I really loved her last record. Um, Really wanted to see No Name. Missed that too. Oh, it was really frustrating um, missing all of that. But yeah, I I think that like both of those artists, I hope that I will get to see later this year uh, at some other point. Tell me a little bit about uh, Christine and the Queens. Yeah, that set was like really interesting and really dramatic. He had sort of this like angel theme, was wearing this like trench coat and these big angel wings and kind of had these like monologues about like flesh and blood and you know, like talked about living life as a man. I am trying to love, but I'm afraid to kill. And I never know when, when to search and stay still. So I fly, to be honest with you. Yeah, that was, I think like the sun wasn't even all the way down yet. And it was, it was definitely kind of a dramatic note to go into the last evening of the festival. And obviously there's there's plenty of, of younger bands and newer bands out there. Uh, but for instance, for a band like Blondie, along with Nile Rodgers, for the average age of a festival crowd, this is probably the first time most of the people at this show are seeing Blondie and experiencing Blondie. So it's almost kind of something new. How, how was that? I only caught the tail end of Blondie, but like I thought that was great. Um, I was so excited um and it like that tent was really packed out um but there were a couple of other moments over the weekend that i felt ancient when i know i'm not old at all but like i was in line somewhere in front of these like young women who i heard them chattering earlier and they said like i'm 15 and one of them was saying like what is this like bajork and i wanted i was like (laughs) oh is it my job to turn around and like correct them or talk you know like talk to them about like who is bjork um i decided against it because that didn't seem okay (laughs) but that was something that i was really curious about i did see a surprising age range at the festival um i guess maybe the blondie demographic probably has more of a budget for vip tickets uh that make that experience a bit more comfortable but yeah it was great like debbie harry what a legend it was quite a thrill to see her like regardless of the context 
Got it. Well, Allison, thank you so much. Allison Hussey is a staff writer for Pitchfork. You can catch her Coachella coverage at pitchfork.com. Allison, appreciate you taking the plunge for us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Hey.